Thank you so much for that beautiful, beautiful song to prepare our hearts. Father in heaven, as we come to your word, Father, we come with a heart of love. Lord, I pray that it can be said of all of us that we love you with all of our heart. We know how much you loved us, and you showed us how to love. And so, Father, as we once again look into your living word, I pray that you might speak to our hearts, Father, and our love might continue to grow for you and for each other. We'll thank you for what you do and teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles with me this morning, let's turn to 1 John. We are heading down the home stretch, as I said before. 1 John chapter 5, and we're just looking this morning at three verses, three verses, verses 13, 14, and 15 of chapter 5. And uh, John here, in these verses, as you will see, John drives home an extremely important aspect that is needed in the believer's life as we complete our journey of faith here on earth. And uh, think about the last time you took a risk. Do you remember the last time you took a risk? When you took that risk, there was something you really needed in order to do that. And what would that be? In, to take a risk on something, you need something. Well, John is going to refer, uh, is basically going to drive home this point. It is confidence. Confidence. If you are an athlete, great athlete, and uh, you want to strive to be the best, you want to strive to make the team, what do you really need? You and I need confidence. Well, I don't know why I need confidence, because I wouldn't make the team. But if you are driving for something, it's that confidence that, that will help you to achieve something. Now, there is the worldly confidence, the kind the world has. There's plenty of it, you know. And uh, what, what is their motto? Uh, believe in yourself, Okay. So the confidence the world has comes from the flesh, from their own flesh, from their own strength. And I can do this, you know, if I work hard enough, I can do it. And they build up their own confidence. But for you and I as believers, it's complete confidence, not in me, but in the Lord and his promises. My confidence as I walk the Christian life, has to be confidence in God and in His Word. And that's what John is trying to get across through this entire letter he has written. And uh, Hebrews 11.1, 1. you don't need to turn to it, but let me just re remind you of it. Hebrews 11.1. 1. This is the chapter of faith, of course. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, think about that again. The writer of Hebrews is saying, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. That word assurance is basically, 
confidence. Confidence in the things that are hoped for, that God, it's not like I hope it's God, you know, it's Jesus is going to return someday. I hope I get to heaven. I hope this. No, it's an assurance in the things hoped for that God has already promised. That's what faith is. And it's a conviction in my heart of things I can't see. Can you see heaven today? I can't. But do you believe that there is one? Why? Because you have confidence in the promise of God and the promise of our Lord Jesus Christ. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, what? I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And then throughout all of Scripture, you read about, uh, about heaven. Confidence. And so this is where John is going to go. He wants to drive home to the, to the readers here. Believer, have confidence in the Lord your God and in his promises in your life. And so let's look at verse 13 together. And now he's, as he's wrapping up this letter, he's going to uh, speak about this assurance, this confidence that he desired in, in his readers at the very beginning of his letter. Look at verse 13. John writes, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you hope that you have eternal life. Is that, is that what your Bible reads? That you might hope that there is eternal that you have eternal no what does he say he says in order that you may know that you eternal you have eternal life that you and i may know we have eternal life and in each verse we can actually see something that uh in each verse that should bring us confidence that we should have confidence in when it concerns our relationship with the Lord and his promises. And the first one here in verse 13, we can live in confidence as a believer because of the assurance of eternal life. If I have the assurance I have eternal life, what's that going to do for me? I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to live in fear. What am I afraid of death for? If I know I have eternal life. Now, it's interesting as you look at the original Greek here for the word know here. John is using the Greek word. Eido oida. Now, that's a tough one. Yeah, don't try and say it fast, but. Uh, it's actually two words put together. And this is a different Greek word for no than the one that is used most of the time much in the New Testament. The other Greek word for no is gnosko. G-I-N-O-S-K-O. Now, We've, that's why it's important to go back and say, what does this mean in the original language? What is he saying? Well, that 
that word ganasco, when it's used, it, it refers to someone who has knowledge by experience, okay? So if you have done something, I have knowledge of, 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 of that because I experienced it. It's uh, experiential knowledge that I, I received through things that I've done. But this word that John is using, it refers to an intuitive insight. It means it comes from within. It's something that gives, that I have assurance in. I have confidence in. Another word that could be used here uh, to define this Greek word is perceive. Perceiving something, which means that deep inside you have a knowledge that's been driven into your heart, a knowledge of some truth that you are holding fast to. And again, it's the idea of seeing something in faith. And there it is. It goes back again to Hebrews 11.1, 1, what faith is. So this knowledge is something, when he uses the word that you may know, it's that I may have the assurance of, that you can have the assurance. You can know, dear friends, you and I can know for certain today, if I believe this, if I believe God's word, I can know beyond the shadow of a doubt, I have everlasting life. I have been given eternal life. If I'm struggling with that, and many, I know there are many that, that do struggle, am I truly saved? I don't know. Maybe I lost my salvation. And, and I don't know if I have eternal life. I hope so. And there are Christians that live their life through fear because they haven't come to that no. I know that I have eternal life. They don't have the confidence which allows a person, a believer, to walk by faith and walk in confidence in the Lord so no matter what comes my way, I know this. I know that God has given me eternal life because I have trusted in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ alone. It's in him alone. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. Let's go over to Ephesians. As Paul writes to the church here in Ephesus, Ephesians 1, verse 18. Look what Paul writes to the church here. Ephesians 1, verse 18. This is his prayer. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. In other words, the eyes of your heart may see something. See what? That your heart, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? In verse 19, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. What Paul is saying to the church here is saying, my prayer is that your spiritual eyes would be opened to the facts. 
and hold on to the facts that you may know that you've been called by God as a child of God. That you were saved when you placed your faith and trust in Jesus. That you may know that you have the riches of glory in, uh, of the inheritance in the saints. That's understanding that, wow, I am part of Christ's inheritance. When he is, going to, he is redeeming me with his blood and someday he wants me to be in heaven with him and I'll be part of it, the bride, the bride of Christ. And he wants me to know of his surpassing uh, greatness and the greatness of his power toward those who believe. You see here again, Paul is driving home, like John is, driving home that truth. Do you know? You should know. You should know. Hold on. Believe it with all your heart. Believe it with all your heart. Turn back to 1 John then, chapter 5. Let's go back and now that he's driven home again, that truth that if you believe in the name of the Son of God, you can have absolute assurance that you have eternal life. And I, it would break my heart to think anybody would leave here and doubt that they have that eternal life if you're a believer, if you truly trusted Jesus. But verse 14, he goes on. And this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. John here is now turning his attention to prayer. We've already been talking about prayer and how important it is. But having confidence in my prayer life that God hears me. We can live in confidence as a believer because of the assurance that God hears me when I pray. He hears you when you pray. Have you ever gone to try and pray and you, and, and you start praying and you think, Oh, I don't know if God's listening. Lord, you're, you're, sometimes we think our problem is too small or too big for God. And, and, and we, we just, then we just stop praying. If I do not have confidence that God hears my prayers as his child, if I don't have that confidence, what's going to happen? I'm not going to pray much, am I? I'm not going to pr pray very much. Because I don't think he's listening. And how sad that is. Now, we know this, that if I have unconfessed sin in my heart, right? We read, David said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, God will what? Not hear me. He won't hear me if I have sin that I haven't confessed. But I know that... If I've confessed sin, I can come to him as my father, as a child comes to the father, and know that he hears me. I have to have that assurance. Have you ever known a person uh, who you knew was not listening to you? Husband? Wife? Maybe it happened this morning, right? You're not listening to me, we say, right? You're talking away and you're explaining your point of view and 
You're shut out. Mm-mm. You know they're not listening to you. How about you kids? Have you ever shut out, shut out mom and dad when they're talking to you? Oh, yeah, we have, right? Like, no, you know, son, you're not listening to me. Or daughter, listen to what I'm saying to you. We all get that way. And what, what happens then? If we think that someone's not, talk, not listening to us, we're going to stop talking. And that's the way it is in our prayer life. If I don't have confidence that God's listening to me, I'm just not going to pray very much. And that, and that will cause me to have more fear when I'm facing the unknown and facing the troubles in my life. The things that are before me. Turn to Luke chapter 18 with me. Turn to Luke 18. And here we have a parable of the Lord Jesus. Verse 1. Luke 18, verse 1. You see, if I have the confidence that God hears me, then I will be persistent in my prayer life. And many times we just stop praying about something because God hasn't answered yet. But look at verse 1. Jesus said, Now he was telling them a parable to show that all that at all times they ought to pray and not what? Lose heart. Have you lost heart this morning, believer? The bad news, the, 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 whatever it is that's come into your life, Satan wants you to lose heart, wants me to lose heart, and just kind of go, well, it looks like God has forsaken me. I prayed, but I hear nothing. He goes on, then he says this, verse 2. There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. And there was a widow in the city, and she kept coming to him saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. And for a while he was unwilling. But afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, <laughs> I will give her legal protection. Lest by continually coming, she wears me out. That's New American Standard translation. She wears me out. Jesus goes on, verse 6, And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now shall not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them speedily. However, when the Son of God comes, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus is saying, if you hear, if, if a, a judge who is ungodly will, will hear and finally answer because someone has been persistent with them about doing something, just so he gets them off their, his back, how much more does God listen to our prayer? He hears us. But how important it is, Jesus said, to be persistent in our prayer life. 
Have you stopped praying for someone lately? All of a sudden, you haven't seen a change in their life. Maybe you're praying for someone's salvation. You've been praying that the Lord would bring them to himself. Nothing. I remember my grandmother my, on my dad's side, Grandma Griner. She was a, well, both grandmas were prayer warriors, but, but she had a list of everybody she prayed for in her Bible. All the grandkids, all the great-grandkids, all her children. And she prayed for them every night, one by one. And she would have the ones that aren't saved, and she would pray for their salvation. And when she was dying, she was near the end of her life there. She, uh, she continued to pray until she, she was laying on the bed, pretty much, you know, breathing her last breath. And then she went home to be with the Lord. Looking into her Bible, she had those names of the grandchildren and that she had been praying for their salvation, and she had some marked answered, and others next to the name unanswered. But you know what's amazing? Is years after she passed and went home to glory, guess what? One by one, those prayers were being answered. Why? She's gone. She couldn't pray on earth anymore. But her persistent prayer life, God heard her, and he, he would delay the answer. And she died, she praying, Lord, somehow save them. And it happened after she went. And that will happen many, many times to any one of us who is praying for someone. It might not happen in your lifetime, but don't stop praying and being persistent before the Lord. Remember this, to have a confident life in Christ and walk that journey of faith, we need the confidence and assurance that he hears us. But then let's go back to uh, verse 5. Turn back to 1 John 5 and look at the last verse. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have received from him. Now, the King James Version translates it this way. And if we know that he heareth us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. And here in this verse, thirdly, we live in confidence as a believer because we have the assurance that God answers prayer. Not only does he hear our prayer, but he answers. Now, if we read this verse the way it's written here, right? You go, wow, if I ask anything in Jesus' name, he'll give it to me. You know, people will use what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 8. Everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And everyone who knocks, it will be opened unto them. And so, some people go around thinking, that if I name it, I claim it. That God's going to give me this. Because I'm, I, I'm, I'm, 
believing by faith. Okay, so Lord, I, uh, I want that new Mercedes. Or, Lord, I want that new, brand new pickup truck. You know, whatever it is, we come to him. Now, is God just going to say, okay, I'm waiting. I got a blank check here. What do you want? Like Santa Claus. Okay, you want that? Yep, you got it. No. What is the key to understanding God's answering our prayer? It's found back in verse 14. Look again at 14. Right? And this is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything, he, he hears us? No, there's something else in there, right? What did he put in there? If we ask anything according to his will, he answers us. And that's the part we tend to forget about. But John's making it clear. When we pray, we must pray according to his will. I believe God will answer my prayers. I believe he will answer. And, but I have to be willing to accept a different answer than what I thought I was, I was best for me. And sometimes he will not answer the way we think he, he should. And then what, what happens? We get angry at God. We get upset with the Lord. Lord, why? I asked for this. I asked for this healing. I asked for this. You didn't, you didn't do it. Second Corinthians. And with this, we'll, we'll be wrapping up here. But turn to Second Corinthians chapter 12. Second Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 7, and here, you know, you know this passage very well. The Apostle Paul had some kind of ailment. They think it was an eye problem. But he was praying to the Lord, Lord, heal me. Okay, so Paul says, verse 7, And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations... For this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there's pride, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Notice he says, he calls it a thorn in the flesh. His, whatever affliction he has, he knows it's like a thorn that's been stuck in his flesh and it hurts and he can't get it out. But he understands this, that it is a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual warfare and God has allowed what? A messenger of Satan. Who would be a messenger of Satan? A demon, an evil spirit. Just like in the life of Job, right? What did Satan ask God? Hey, you have the heads around him, but you take away that heads of Job, he'll curse you to your face. And God says, okay, I'm going to remove some of that heads. And I'm going to allow you to inflict suffering on Job. But you're not allowed to go, you're not allowed to take his life. And you know the story of Job. So God allows things, but he has a purpose. Even though he allows Satan to go so far, God has a purpose in it all. 
And in Paul's thorn in the flesh, God was using it, and, he, and Paul realized it was to keep him humble in the ministry. Because if he had perfect health, perfect eyesight, perfect everything, what happens? I start feeling confident in myself. And suddenly, it's me doing the ministry, and, and I'm not relying on the Lord. So then, we, verse 8, concerning this, this thorn in the flesh, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And here is God's answer. No, 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 son. I'm not going to answer what you want. God answers. He heard Paul's prayer, and he answers him, but not with a yes, but with a no. And then sometimes God answers with, wait a while. But look at verse 9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. That's where God's power comes from, and the Lord Jesus' power in your life and mine through us, in our weakness, we experience a grace which gives us a strength and a peace and a confidence, knowing that even though God didn't answer the way I thought he would, Lord, I believe that you are in control of my life. I believe, according to your word, that you're a loving God. I believe that you haven't forsaken me. I believe that whatever happens is going to be ultimately for my good, and I'm going to stand on you, and God... I will not curse you with any wrongdoing because I know that you are holy and you love me. And I have to have confidence in the love of God for me when, when the enemy comes and when, when the flood comes. And then because that's when Satan is ready to work and he wants to work on our minds, get us to doubt God, get doubt what God says. I... Recently, there, and let me just finish these other verses then. So then what does Paul say about this? Here's Paul's response to a no from God. Most gladly, therefore, verse 9, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Can I honestly say that I am content with what is afflicting me today? Oh, that's, this is a difficult place to come to. But remember what Paul said in Philippians? He said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to what? Be content. I've learned whatsoever state. He had to learn contentment. It just doesn't come naturally. And, it, and I get contentment in my life and as I walk by faith when I have the assurance that I am saved. I've been given everlasting life. I have the assurance that God hears me because I'm his child. And I have confidence in the assurance that God will Answer me and answer what is best. 
But I have to come to him and say, according to your will, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus didn't want to go to that at the last hours. He didn't want to go to the cross and bear all of our burden of sin. Oh, Jesus wasn't concerned about the suffering part of it, the physical suffering. He could start feeling the weight of the sin of the world on him. And so he knew he was going to carry the sins of the world on that cross. And he's saying, Father, if there's another way, please take this cup from me. Is there another way I don't have to carry the sins of the world on me? But what did Jesus end his prayer with? Nevertheless, yet not my will, but thy will be done. I've got to get to that point in my life where I can say, nevertheless, yet not my will, but thy will be done. Right? This was unplanned to conclude our message with this this morning. But Dave Smoyer came up to me as I was sitting down there while we were singing or while we were meeting together. And he said, could I, at the end of your message, share something? And it's amazing how the Holy Spirit's working today, right now. He didn't know what I was going to preach on, but... He's coming to share. And my friends, this will tie in with what you've heard from God's word at this time. Dave, would you share? Thank you. Um, good many years ago, I, I went to uh, Senegal, Africa with Pastor George and Betty and a group of people at the church. And the first church service that we went to, I asked them, I said, what time does church start? And they said, when everybody gets here. And they said, what time, when ta- what time does the church service end when everybody's finished? They would give testimonies as the pastor was preaching. They would give testimony. So we, Dan and I have a God story. Almost three years ago, she broke, dislocated and broke her foot in three places destroyed it and the surgeons put it all back together and uh, the pain would never go away so they thought well let's take all the steel and all the screws out that could be causing the problem so she had that operation pain wouldn't go away swelling wouldn't go away so they gave her a shot nothing happened so they did all kinds of nerve tests. They found out her nerves were growing faster, her tendons. So they did what's called a nerve re- reduction. And they separated them. Nothing would take the pain away. Shooting pain up into her knee, it, it didn't, it, um, amazingly, it doesn't hurt when she walks. It's why she doesn't limp. It's stiff, but it doesn't hurt. But when she's sitting down or trying to sleep or resting, these pain just shoot out like crazy. So they go back to the uh, orthopedic surgeon again. This is the second or third orthopedic surgeon that worked with her. Uh, same organization. Um, he said, well, we found out you have another nerve growing faster your tendon. We want to remove that. And also we found a tumor on the top of your foot. She said, you're not going to do the, the nerve reduction because of the recovery time and it didn't work. Can you guarantee me this one's going to work? He said, absolutely not. 
So she said, I don't want the operation. And I thought to myself, well, hon, we ought to take the tumor out. He said, I'm sure, I'm not even going to biopsy it because I'm, I'm sure it's not tumorous, but, but I, I think you should take it out. And she was debating because of the recovery time. And uh, I said, I really think you ought to have this tumor taken out. So she said, okay, we can do that. Uh, but they biopsied the, the tumor anyway. And uh, it took two weeks. For some reason, it, matter of fact, it took 15 days to find out whether it was cancer or whether it was not. And the, the surgeon couldn't understand why it was taking so long. And so she, so she got a phone call 15 or 16 days after the surgery. And he said, yes, it is cancerous. Uh, so I need to send you to an oncologist. Do you have a preference? And we said, she said, no, wherever we can get into the fastest, because, you know, in today, since COVID, it takes you six, seven, eight months to get in to see a doctor. So do you care where you go? Nope, wherever. She got a phone call. I don't know how many days later. Um, well, I, I wrote some things down. Um, July 13th, she had the surgery. The 28th, she found out it was cancer. August 12th, we had a meeting with an oncologist at UPMC just several days after we found out it was cancer. And we have an appointment set up on the 12th of August. So Jan thought, well, I'm going to look up this guy and you know see who he is or whatever. We found out Dr. Raja, he's from India, he, had, he started medical school at the age of 14. Thought, well, he, pretty smart guy. So we saw him and he said, well, this type of cancer, you know, uh, chemotherapy doesn't work. It doesn't do anything. So we're going to give you six weeks of radiation. Uh, that would be five times a day, a total of 30 treatments. And uh, we already have a radiologist set up. We had an appointment several days after meeting with him. We already had the radiologist set up. I mean, th this is already two appointments within weeks. We shouldn't have even been to the first step yet. Hershey Medical Center was going to meet with us October 15th for the very, very first appointment. Dr. Raj says, but you know, because it's in your ankle, oh, I'm going to send you to another specialist. He's an orthopedic specialist. Five days later, we have an appointment with him in his office and he starts telling us about radiation and all the downsides. Very, very few positive aspects of radiation in an ankle. He said more than likely it will not remove the cancer and it will probably come back in two years. And this cancer there are only there are less than 200 people in the United States a year have this cancer. It is very, very seldom is it detected before it's too late because the only side effects are shooting pains and swelling. Now, for some reason, the orthopedic surgeons never caught it that she has shooting pains and she has swollen for two and a half years. But Dr. Parrish, because Dr. Raja was so wise and thought he should, she should see an ankle specialist with cancer, she sent us, he sent us to Dr. Parrish. 
and then he starts his statement of this is this this is a conversation I never want to have with my cancer patients and I thought what's he talking about um, radiation you know doesn't sound that bad he said that her ankle will probably be useless after radiation she will have so much pain in it she won't even be able to walk with it so he said the alternative is we we're going to amputate your leg He got her attention, but he said, my job is to save your life so that you can grow old and play with your grandchildren. He didn't even ask us if we had grand, we did, he didn't even ask us if we had children. He didn't even ask if we had grandchildren, but that was his comment. Because if this cancer comes back, it will come back in your lungs and it will probably kill you. So he gave us, he said, I want to do another MRI. I want to do a full body scan because they were already, I wondered why both oncologists, they started checking her lungs. I'm thinking she has, the cancer's in her foot. Why were they so worried about her lungs? Did a full body scan. And when we met with uh, Dr. Parrish uh, just uh, this past Thursday, um, he showed us the MRI of her foot. Uh, they put a dye in her when they did the MRI, and it lights the cancer up like a Christmas tree. Her Christmas, her foot was glowing. There's cancer all over, even though they removed a tumor. He said, this was my suspicion all along. He said, but thank God, it's none of your lungs. And normally, when you get to the two-and-a-half-year point of this, you're, you've had the cancer too long. You're expectancy wasn't that great because it's going to go to your lungs she's had it for almost three years they suspect it was the, the cancer the lining of her of your joints has a, the, the lining turns to cancer and that's what happened to her ankle it this uh, lining turned to cancer and weakened her joint that made her dislocate and then broke her ankle simultaneously so she's had this cancer for three years but it's not in her lungs so tomorrow, she's going to uh, have her foot removed uh, just below the knee. So she's going to have a knee. And probably within six weeks, she'll be able to be walking on a prosthesis, which will be a temporary one until her leg gets to normal. Uh, they, they claim the muscles will shrink and stuff. So within six weeks, she's going to be able to be walking. And uh, she said, well, we're scheduled to go to the beach the first week in October. She was worried about going to the beach. And he said, I see no reason why you can't go to the beach. So the first week in October, we're going to the beach. But all this stuff from July 13th, when she had this surgery, until when we decided for her to have her foot amputated was 31 days. And in those 31 days, it took 15 days before we even found out it was cancer. We wouldn't even be in our first doctor's appointment. Dr. Parrish is a born-again believer. Friday, he leaves for Peru to go on a two-week missions trip. He's gone on mission trips all over the world, not always medical. He's gone and did masonry work. So the man's really amazing. Found out 
he was Jan's uh, brother's neighbor for several years. He knows Dr. Parrish. Jan's sister and her husband, her sister's an RN and her husband's a doctor. They both know Dr. Parrish. They say he's outstanding. One of the board of directors of BCM, which Jan's on the board, he's a doctor. And this Thursday, she shared with the board of directors that she was going to be having her foot amputated. And he asked her what the, the surgeon's name. And the, the doctor from BCM said, if I had to pick a, a, a surgeon for you to operate on your foot, Jan, I would pick Dr. Parrish. Our 10-year-old grandson, when he found out, we, we had to tell him because we had him at our house and they, they, they were all worried. They wanted to know what the outcome was. And Jan shared that, you know, they could do this, this, and it wouldn't be a good idea. So to save Nanny's life, they're going to have to take off my leg. And her granddaughter, she started crying, and we explained to her, but this is going to save Nanny's life. And Colby said, Nanny, I think you picked a good option. Ten years old, he'll take a grandmother with no leg versus no grandmother at all. But for God to do the, he knew three years ago she had this cancer. Why does he work the way he does? I, I don't know. I, I don't understand the war in the Ukraine. I don't understand why he allows all those Christians to be killed. I don't understand why granddaughters will, will die in a car accident, why we would lose a son. But I know what happened in the last 31 days was because of God. He's going to choose to save her life. He's an awesome God. I mean, the song we sung today, Pastor's Message, we, if we could figure him out, then he wouldn't be God. Uh, you know, he knows what's best for us. My wife's a trooper. So you can just pray for us, but just thank the Lord. I mean, we're, the, a lot of people were shocked. We, we did have a week. We, we suspected this a week ago that what, this was going to be the best option because we were not going to roll the dice and have the chance of this coming back in two years. It can still come back. She's going to have to have her lungs uh, periodically uh, checked. We, we haven't been told how often that's going to be. But... Beans is still and not at the lungs at this point. We're hoping that once the leg is removed, uh, that will not happen. Uh, so we're just trusting God. I mean, he did all this. 31 days. He arranged us to see two specialists, a radiologist, and that he could have it on his schedule that he can operate before he goes on his missions trip. Mm. Thanks for this time. But just continue to praise the Lord. And even though we don't understand thank you thank you dave would you just jam would you come up for a minute please if you if you would come up if you're able are you able to oh she has to put her shoes on okay hold on while she puts her shoes on but i want to pray for them together all right jan for you and Dave, this isn't our story. I know it isn't. It's God's. Yep. Amen. Would you join me in prayer for Jan? Loving Father in heaven, 
we come to thee, Lord, in prayer, believing who you are. Lord, we have confidence in the God of the universe who saved us and sent his son. Father, Jan and Dave are your children. And Father, again, we don't understand, just like the Apostle Paul, why you allow the thorns, why you allow things to come into our life that so unexpectedly. But Father, we know that you are still God and sitting on your throne. Nothing comes to us without passing by thy throne first. And Father, right now, we just want to commit Jan to you. Lord, as she's going to have that surgery tomorrow, we pray that the doctors uh, would perform the surgeon or surgery well. Lord, you guide their hands, give them wisdom. And Father, we pray it would be successful. And Father, that you would bring healing to her leg. And Father, we pray that you would bring healing to her body. And may this be used to remove the cancer and keep the cancer away. Father, only you can do this. The doctors are your instruments, but ultimately you are the great physician and healer. So we are asking, according to your will, would you grant healing? We commit her to you, and I thank you for this precious couple, our dear friends, and how faithful they've been. Bless them for their faithfulness, Lord, and give them peace tomorrow as they go down this road. And Father, we know that you will be holding them in the palm of your hand. Thank you for what you'll do as we rest in your promises and in who you are. We ask all this in Jesus' most glorious and wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jan. Greg.